Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President Stacy Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. It seems like nowadays, everywhere you look, you see video. On the internet, on your phone, walking around, on billboards, video, video, video. How do you make it? How do you monetize it? Those two things never align. Today, we're going to talk through both of them, the pros and cons, and let these two people argue out which is more important. I still don't know the answer. All that and more today on the Marketing Mad Men podcast. They say marketing is a madman's game. So now we turn it over to the Marketing Mad Men with Nick Constantino and Trip Joe. Hello and welcome to the Marketing Mad Men. Nick Constantino and today we have a special show. Uh, it's going to be the first of our YouTube channel. Uh, and what better topic to talk about on that show, on that YouTube channel, than video. So I have with me two of my buddies. I have uh, Mr. DJ Falk, who is the executive producer of Network Frequency and Netfreak TV. Uh, both things I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about. Uh, and also Kevin Webb, who is the senior vice president of sales for Frankly Media. So we're going to do this a little different. Most of the times when people talk video, they talk about the creation side or the monetization side. Uh, those things always conflict with each other and never align. So we're going to talk about it all at the same time. I don't think either knew this was going to happen, which makes it super funny for me, which is always the best part. Um, and I think it's going to be a real eye-opening thing for people who think about creating content, distributing content, and how you make money doing so. Uh, you could have the best idea in the world. I think one of the things we've learned about the internet revolution, you could have the best website, best idea, flashiest design in the world. If you're not playing the SEO game and you don't know Google's tricks and tactics, none of that is going to matter. Uh, um, so that's what we're going to get into here. So uh, let's get started. Let's introduce. Uh, let's start with Kevin. So again, Mr. Kevin Webb. Kev, talk us a little bit about how you got to where you are now uh, and what you do day to day at Frankly. Sure, Nick. Um, so I, I got into the internet ad business um, by mistake. Uh, it, it was a, a lead that I was given um, working for, for a company in New York City, uh, a company called Total New York. And it was a, a webzine, um, and and basically was told that they were looking for someone that knew something about HTML, and and sports, and and uh, and, and and something to do with with tech. Age uh, yourself. Talk about when that was. So that was um, kind of late '90s. I was going to say and, when you say HTML is the first thing you throw out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that, that was late '90s, and and so went on this job interview and and told them why I was there, and you know HTML and sports and. So they really wanted nothing about that, but how about you do PR for us? And so took the job. Uh, first phone call I made was to MTV, and I was explaining who we, who we were about. And it was a, a, we called ourselves a webzine, my last name being Webb. Um, and the fact there was www.totalnewyork.com. Got on the phone with somebody from MTV and, and uh, said, this is Kevin Webb calling from Total New York. We're a webzine, www. The person on the phone said, www, web, 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 web. What? 
and uh, that, that didn't go very well. But ultimately, ended up getting immersed in, into the the ever changing uh, you know business models of online uh, tech and and advertising, and uh, spent the first part of my career, first half of my career, building the actual ad servers, ad tech, and the ways to target uh, users based on their behaviors, etc. Um, second half of my career, um, you know, what creating that that ad inventory uh, have been focused on on selling it. Um, so people, uh, I think the best way to position myself is I'm an ad tech nerd that slings online digital ads. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it because that, that makes it simplify because it's a lot more complicated than that. <laughs> and I will tell you, I think this is the first time I've ever actually mentioned this on the show. Right around 2005-ish, I was actually working in San Diego at a company called Divix, which pretty much built the back end of how you watch videos streaming on the internet. Um, and just so everybody knows, let's get it out of the way, the only reason that standards and video are applied is by who watch, how you watch porn. So it was when back in the day, between when it was between DVD and the other platforms, um, it was actually whichever one the porn industry chooses is where people actually go with that is not me being dirty that is an actual fact that every that was between beta and vhs every time there was a competition between which video format it was the one that the pornography industry chose which is the way they went so that's a little tidbit for you guys out there um but i also was doing a lot of the FireClick ads and FireClick was the initial form of the video tracking of the, the the web tracking um so i got some experience there too which is the same um so DJ, how about you? Your day-to-day is probably a little different and how you got there is probably a little different, a little bit more creative, but uh, why don't you give you a rundown? Man, thanks for having me on today. Um, and sorry about talking a little low and everything. I just uh, got a little problem with my mouth today from surgery, but overall, yeah, man, i uh very lucky to have been in Atlanta at the time that I was. Went to high school, college here, played baseball. Was very active. Um, I was lucky enough that when I was in high school, uh, my school had a full studio. Cool. We had, you know, we were doing the weekly news, all that kind of stuff. I did everything I could to get out of class, which included, you know, playing baseball, but also then going to record all the other practices and then video broadcasts. And so, at the time, I was which is ironic because that was school, right? Yeah, you were actually learning <laughs> skills for later in life. So I, you're sitting there like the punk, like, oh, I'm just trying to get out of school. It's like, no, dummy, you're in school. This I'm is what you're learning, learning to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. So it's funny how that works. It, it really was because like I. You know, my mom's an event planner. She's done it since I was born. I literally had a crib in her, uh, you know, offices, you know, wherever the event was at the time. And so tying those together, um, when I left, I was trying to figure out, like, you know, college is great right now. Music industry was great, 2000s, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was lucky enough that uh, I decided to quit playing baseball and hurt, stop hurting myself. So I uh, went to a fraternity rush party and met Nappy Roots. And there you met go. those guys. And I they, feel like a lot of people have that kind of story with the nappy roots. <laughs> like, guys, no, dude, I was just out and I met him. And I was like, okay. And, that, and that's really how it is. Those guys are the nicest guys in entertainment. They, they truly love what they do. And, you know, they were a, a good example of, hey, you can, you know, do anything you want to do in entertainment as long as you work hard doing it. Sure. They, you know, they, they had one or two good albums uh, initially, and then they went silent for a little bit. And But the one thing that I noticed about them and how I actually got involved was through booking them and helping them and, and, and going to college campuses and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, we went to a studio, and I was there for about three or four years working in. It's one here in Atlanta called Tree Sound. It's amazing. It's, it's a great, great And it's studio. one that I think everyone knows about. That's one of those studios that, like, even it made its way to my end of the world in freaking radio, and I know that. So that's how you know that people know. Yeah, yeah, and Paul Diaz is great over there, and I was lucky enough that the whole team was awesome, and they kind of – 
facilitated me into working in an entertainment in a way that I wasn't an artist, I wasn't talent. Right. And there's a lot of people out there in the content creation world that don't want to be talent and that don't want to do that. And that's, the, that's that's ninety percent of the industry. I have that's to imagine. Exactly right. And I mean, that's why when you watch a movie, the credits are so long. And I mean, I mean, I don't know the last time anyone watched a movie other than a Marvel movie when they're trying to get to the end credits. See the end credits. But but I mean, that is that there are so many people involved. Even TV commercials, there are so many people involved. I mean, and they all get their fair shot for a reason. Yeah, yeah, and and that very much was you know when leaving the music industry after three or four years of being there, working with a lot of the record labels, they were trying to figure out you know. Well, how do we sell music now? Nobody's yeah. buying CDs. There's no yeah. mechanical Oh my god! And I was one of those people on Napster in '98. And I mean, yeah. Like I was the one buying, burning, downloading songs, burning CDs, and selling them to people. Right. And again, speaking again, a lot of it was porn too. I mean, yeah. let's just call it what it is. <laughs> when you learned how to burn it to CD, it was that easy. And, and I, again, the diversity of backgrounds, right? You came on from the business side, came up through it that way. You came up by a ch chance encounter because you were trying to get out of school. Which, if you had to guess, which one would be the technical one and which one would be the creative one, you could probably guess the way that is laid out um so let's let's start with something that we're going to close bring this back to uh a lot of people want to get in the content game i mean everyone every piece of advice you read is just make content just make content and as someone who runs this show and is trying to organize and produce this show i understand it can be daunting to create content one just do people care are people watching why are you making it so let's throw it all the window let's throw that at all the window Let's give advice to people who want to get into content. What would you say is something you wish you knew a little earlier before you were creating and something you say you wish you knew a little earlier before you were monetizing? What advice can you give someone? For me, it's just get out and do it. Like, you know, now everybody is a photographer. Everybody is a videographer. Like everybody wants to be, you know, shooting and telling a story and sharing it. And I think that technology has enabled that very much so more than ever. So I think that if you want to, do it. If you don't have the budget for a good camera, a good film, so use your phone. You yeah. shoot it, do it, get it done, take it somewhere, and then find people that are better than you and make it look better. And, and be so around people to make you better. And I, I think we talked about this, DJ. When I worked in film production in the 90s, I mean, an Avid machine was four or $5,000, which you needed to do the editing. I mean, your phone can do more now than the full apparatus back in, and a whole studio can do in the late 90s. Like, that's without exaggeration. Um, so like you said, shoot it. The quality is the least of your worries in the beginning. It's, it's reps. You gotta get the practice. So, so that's that side. So now let's go to the other side. What are the, about these people who have these grand dreams of making a million dollars with their content? What advice would you give them when they start out? Yeah, I think, you know, Nick, the, the, it's really the, probably the, the biggest challenge is, um, you know, you build it, they will come, you know, the, 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 the field of dreams and, um, it's, it's the, the right mix of, the destination for the content, but then also the the right mix of using the content to to draw the audience in. Um, you know, and, and so your your question about like what would I, I you know wish I applied in the past? It's really using um, using content to really drive that audience because while content is there for monetization, it's also there to to, to draw eyeballs and. and and grow audience. Yeah, and that's that connection, right? Like you can't have one without the other. You're not going to make money without the audience. Uh, you know, but at the same time, to be fair, the more niche your audience is, the more the opportunity for money exists. Because if you're selling fifty thousand, fifty million dollar yachts, you don't need to sell twenty five thousand of them. You sell one mega yacht and you're done. So who cares how many listeners? But at the same time, you have to build that following and build the trust with that audience to be able to sell them that content. But but you have to be able to. There has to be strategy involved if you want to monetize it. Which brings up a good point. You know. You don't always have to do things to monetize it. Most people who do a podcast who have a, a half of a brain realize that they're not making money off doing it. And of course, that's what we hear those grand stories about Rogan and, and Freakonomics and, and stuff you should know. But 
really you should do it to peddle influence because just by getting up on a microphone and saying what you believe and talking through it, eventually you get some sort of influence over people and influence leads to sales, leads to all these things. So, um, I think after the break, we're going to go dig a little deeper. Um, my only advice is, again, now that I've done this for a couple episodes is, is one, don't take yourself too seriously. Two, don't expect to be good till you've done it 200 times, which means that's a lot less pressure on yourself. Because you, if you go and F it up on time one through 200, you're like, eh, I planned it to be that way. And then what happens is you eventually actually get good at it because you've practiced it so many times, just like anything, and it's that repetition. And just remember, how many times does it take to be great at something? Thousands. So don't get mad if no one listens to your podcast. Don't get mad if no one likes your video content. You just have to get better. And if you get better at it, the audience will come. You're listening to the Marketing Mad Men and we'll be right back. Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. All right, welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. Continue our conversation here with DJ Falk and Kevin Webb. And DJ, let me ask you about content, about duration, because this is a hot topic right now. And if you look our attention spans have gotten shorter. You look at from just back in the day from, you know, watching movies and how how long the scenes were versus now where it's like a quick cut every second, everything's gotta move. Um, and you just look at our attention spans and TikTok, we've seen the duration of our attention spans follow the duration of video. Short form video is in. So talk about from a creation side, talk about short form versus long form, why our attentions got there and how it's different from each other. You know, I, I think, overall the the main difference is really what you're doing it for you know at the end of the day the long form story like you can get a long story out really short you know what i mean highlights all that kind of stuff the highlight reel recaps those kind of things like those exist for a reason you know people love seeing themselves on a, a video afterwards all that kind of stuff that's what with our corporate clients we do a lot is the event recaps sure but now that being said those are meant to be on 200 eyeballs yep. with a purpose and a, a, there's a reason that they're creating those corporate imaging pieces. The reason they're putting that out, there's, there's an agenda behind it, yep. right? So that's right. a different audience than potentially something mass audience. It's long form. And that's, I think that's exactly it is like, what is it for? You know, most of the time, the short form stuff is very much to hook and switch. You know what I mean? You, you want to go ahead and get them in and get them in interested at least. And, uh, you know, like you said about the influence part, I think that that's where like, it was funny about all these folks becoming influencers and all that kind kind of stuff it, it wasn't really much to me ever about necessarily the influence of it but more about the storytelling and the me mechanism behind that and so like you can do it in a short form that is very 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 possible and there's a lot of good platforms for it TikTok and all these folks that have taken over on that um, and what's funny is you're going to even see them doing things about switching into long form because there is such a need for that people love podcasts people love the long form but I think uh, ultimately the difference comes down to what it's used for. And that's why now everybody, you know, you have to truly be interested to sit down and listen to something. And so, like, if you can pique that interest through short form, then it leads to the long form. Yeah, and I've always been told, and it's just a funny thing, that you age into certain things, right? Like, you know, I always like, I'm like, who, who would listen to somebody talk about sports in which they were watching last night? And like, no, no, you don't understand. You age into it. And then as I get older and I'm like, I get it. It's like you're just time is used different. Like you, you spend all this time at work putting out fires. Do you really need to watch a 30 second clip that 
that's just running around. So I think it, it, it depends who your target audience is, but I also think you have to expect people to age just because you grab their attention. What are you doing to keep it? And that's one of the problems with the influencer generation, if you will, you're just a flash in the pan because they're going to be influenced by the next quick thing. Very few of those people build long-term brands. Now we're also built to have immediate gratification and there is a mechanism in social media to sell quickly. But if you want to build long-term branding, long-term video and established content that is peddling influence is much more important, I would say. Also, Kevin, it's much more important to monetization. So if you're doing short form video to grab someone's attention is great, but if you put a 60 second commercial before a 30 second video, you screwed. Nobody's watching that. If they don't have the attention span to watch a full video, how are they watching a, a 60 second commercial? So talk about the monetization side and why short form should be led to longer form or vice versa to help monetize. Yeah, I, I think, you know, what DJ said, you know, about like, what, what's your purpose? You know, there, a short form, I think, there's there's a there's an opportunity or, or a reason for short form for monetization, but to your point, Nick, you know when it comes to what what we call the the, the playlist, um, you certainly don't want to, to to inundate a user with uh, with with too many ads um, and and the short pieces of content, uh, especially with, with online video. You know you want to you want to separate that out. So you, maybe you have one 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 ads slot and then uh, three or four pieces of content, but. But ultimately, it really—I think a lot of it comes down to the audience that you're 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 communicating to, the device, the environment. Um, so you know, in in places with in short form content, I typically refer to as, as snackable content versus long form, where you're, you're you're leaning back and and really you know consuming the content and and really just literally leaning back and the um, same company can use both, both to their advantage i mean it right. doesn't have to be exclusively to one or the other i bet you there are plenty of old established companies i think like bridgestone and like these commodity companies that are all of a sudden scrambling to find agencies to do short form content yeah. usually because their kid is of age where they're like dad i can't believe you don't do short or mom you don't do short-term content uh and they're like oh we gotta get to this TikTok thing so i i i know it happens um I'm, i am curious let's talk technically so you know, most of these video units are measured in CPMs. That's the advertising cost per thousand impressions. So much more goes into it from engagement rate to click through. But if, let's keep it simple. Are the CPMs different for a short form video spot versus a long form? I have to imagine the spot durations are a little different. So talk technically about how the ad units are different from short form and long form. Yeah, I think it, it really it comes down to, um, you know, what what the con again what the content is where what environment like what platform and when i say platforming i mean ctv versus online video versus a, a mobile device um and i think when it gets into long form content a lot of times you're getting into sponsorship elements and, and, and things like that so product placement that works better in long form because it's too obvious in short form right so you know i think that um it, it really you know what's called the the pre-roll versus the mid-roll um you know in, in terms of uh you know, whether you're you're in in short form and and that uh, mid rolls for for long form, uh, it, it has to do with the the uh, really the, the ownership of of that ad slot. Yeah. Um. And you know if you're rotating several ads within what you know, in, in terms of if you want to get techie, what's called a pod, um, the the value of, of that of that you know ad might go down. But if you have complete ownership, where you're you're running a maybe a ninety second ad 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 uh, you know ninety second ad. Um, you know the value, of course, increases. It, it's all about really the share of voice and and the the eyeballs that you're you're, you're in front of for, for for whatever duration of time. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and you know that's a good point. So let's talk a little bit about uh, just 
the data that goes into all this. So I've seen graphics before um, that are trying to show when you follow the path of supplier demand side buying, um, how many people have their hands on how many places it touches from the supply side to the demand side to finally to the actual creator, to his video, to the clearinghouse in the middle, to the data source who tries to create the cohorts. And I, I mean, it was in the hundreds. So first of all, how the hell is anyone making any money? Yeah. Uh, second of all, um, just just if you will, without going over people's heads, talk about just how big the industry is and how many moving parts and how amazing it is that you can fill an ad in a video within a half a second in real time that all that could happen. Yeah, so what you're referring to in terms of the hundreds of, of companies, um, what, uh, um, you know, what's really used and, and, and presented in, in meetings and to help people understand what's going on in the chaos it's called the lumascape and and that really the, is go ahead and say that again the lumascape you better put a, a nice graphic over that because <laughs> the lumascape that's my first time we've coined hopefully he coined that phrase and he tried he, he patented it because i haven't heard that one before the, the lumascape uh, no, it's, it's 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 used throughout the industry the, the industry because it is that complex and especially for someone that, that's new or you're really trying to um explain you know people what the ad tax is about uh, you know, it's from the agency, the buyer, all you know, down to the the publisher, or um, you know, the the person that's delivering the ad adjacent to their content. And uh, the the ad industry over the years has has uh, screwed up enough where there's um, there's measurement around engagement, there's measurement around fraud, uh, you know, viewability. So Nick, to your point, you know, the the uh, the more transparent you can be to the the advertiser and show that there's real meaning behind, you know, high engagement, that uh, the people that sticky content, you know, that's obviously where you're going to be able to drive the value of, of your content and audience up. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of fly by night content that's, that's slung out there that, that, yeah. that really doesn't have a lot of value. And and that's when you know, kind of to your, your question before that's when CPMs diminish and yeah, there's not a lot of value. And, and I'm curious and I was trying to throw air quotes up while you were saying transparent because, you know, one of the things I've come to line again, for those that don't know, my radio charter is one of the most complicated things you'll ever see in your life. We have an obligation to the community. We have an EEO obligation. We have FCC affidavits that we have to fill out. This is a hundred year old industry with bureaucracy. Let's call it what it is, right? It's not helpful yep. to anyone. It's just because there are people that have jobs that need to keep their jobs. So it's checking off the boxes. There's none of that on the internet. You say transparent. Transparent, but you can lie, and then the person looking over you, you can just pay them off to lie. There's no government regulation. There's nothing that says this X Y Z is happening or is clear and is a go is a standard practice. Well, it, it, there some does exist. There's okay. there, there's MRC accreditation, um, you know, where you know there, there's there's real practice put into the the measurement and and how. How engagement is actually and that tracked. is that relatively standard or people just throw that one around and then use another governing body no it, i've seen you've all seen like the diamond certifications like yeah there's one but there's 400 of them it's just right. you trust this one more so is that a completely industry-wide accreditation or is that one that the best ones kind of use the, it's um there are uh services and, and and platforms that are used like double verify ias um you know uh and and, and so these, these are these are user basically what ends up becoming a currency. So, right, this, you know, it's what, it's what the value of the media is actually traded on. Um, while there is the impression, you know, it, it's, it's the, the gold standard to your point of like, you know, we've, we've validated and have measured the fact that, that this, um, this user has watched this video or this you know, piece of content um, and, and it, it's been verified. And, you know, there, um, something to, to kind of back to the currency, 
um, a lot of you know online ads are, are, are sold on, on demographics, and, and there, yeah. there, there are a bunch of different measurement sure. systems that, that actually um, you know like Comscore, Nielsen, sure. and that. And, and, sure, and that, but that's a language people understand, right? That's right. been in radio and media forever. So that's a language. It's more the effective CPMs and the visible CPMs. And I think one of the really good points here, and that one thing I always try to share, if you have good content, a good message, and a good brand, all of that stuff's less important, right? Yep. DJ, if you make sticky good content, then who the hell cares what governing body is saying it's effective? If it's sticky good content and the ad fits on brand, people are going to buy stuff and watch it. And ultimately, one of my biggest problems with the digital industry is like, who cares how many fake metrics you make up? Are people buying the good in which I'm selling? Yeah. Because that's how I measure ROI. You don't know how many emails I get for like guaranteeing 400% ROI. Wait a second. So you're telling me you can make my $14 million company a $60 million company? Go on. Never hear back from the person. Because ROI, they're making up their own terms of return on investment. Yeah. So, so DJ, talk about – because, again, this is the back end. This is the unsexy stuff. Talk about when you're shooting content and when you're making content, why it's so important to put good content out there, not rush, because ultimately, whether you're using it internally or for advertising, bad content is bad content. And you could have every metric set up to watch it succeed. It will not garner engagement or support. So talk about it from the other side. When you go to make content, how you make good content. I guess it doesn't matter anymore when you got Jake Paul boxing and stuff. So, you know, <laughs> And he's making, what, $50 million, he said, off his last fight or something? Like, And that's funny. And that kind of goes to the social part of what you're talking about for like certifications and stuff like if there's not the social certification if people in the in the right. community aren't really paying attention and they're not buying well yeah you can gauge it and like you know it's just kind of one of those things where people are just lying about their 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 size and their scale and so the the long term I think that that's what's really important about it is when you're like you were saying about the the quality aspect. It sometimes takes a long time to get a really good idea down, especially when it comes to content. These yeah. things don't just happen overnight. Yeah. That's why we're still doing Frankenstein. That's why we're still doing, for sure. you know, like all, Lord of the Rings, like all these properties and these IPs that have been around for so long are because there's there's integrity behind them and people from a social perspective appreciate them. They love them. They cheer for them. You until know, they, they get they, until they get run into the ground. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, and that's part of it too. And what you're talking about with balance and Ads, well, it's a balance of content too. I think the storytelling and balancing out um, the type of stories that are being told is very important in the sense of, you know, how we move the industry forward. At, forward as storytellers, um, you know, and I, I think that the short form versus the long form, uh, you can, like I said, you can have really good quality short form content. Like right now, I have a post that I, I shot and posted like back in December of last year, and it's like six hundred fifty thousand plays or something like that, right. and like twenty two thousand likes, and don't get me wrong. Um, that's cool. I love those impressions. I love those, right. those, those views. And the, but the are they audience. driving action? Yeah. I mean, I, I've gained 2,000 followers off go. the post. And like, that's something you know you can monetize. So it may not yeah. be the dollars, but you're, you're finding something that is leading to a call to action. But what's crazy is that the, the like, little 15-second video that I did is like literally just a snippet of the full long form content that's the full so set that yeah so it's just like okay well that set took a lot of time to prepare it took a lot of time to shoot it took a lot of time to edit it and so like we you know going back and forth as a as a producer and as somebody that takes client input as well as audience input and everything else i have to be considerate about you know my time on how much i'm putting into that as well in the sense of it's easier to shoot it and create it in the long form if you planned well um, short form usually needs to be something that's already been produced, shoot, and then you want to advertise it and run that as part of the campaign as yeah. a bigger spectrum of that project. 
And so, like, from a creative standpoint, you have to know that going into that. For you sure. have to know that and your you need to have a plan what you're going to do with it because yeah. it doesn't matter what you're intending to do with it if you don't know what your goal is at the end, right? I've seen a lot of people who go out and they're going to shoot a 30-minute video and just put it out. Why? Break it into four-minute clips, 30-minute clips, 90-second clips that are thematic and based on it and then post those with the right hashtags or key, keywords to get people's attention. But again, that is that is because finally people are starting to read and understand this data revolution. They're starting to understand the dem demographics that go into it. Now, I, I tell people this all the time. If you know how advanced we gotten, the difference between me looking at a Nielsen radio survey of 800 people in a city of 7 million and my Google Analytics radio sample size that has a million people, which one do you think is more accurate? And you don't have to be a doctorate degree to understand that difference. 800 person sample size is entirely too small. However, on the other side of the spectrum, if you don't have a gut instinct of what works and what doesn't, all that data is worthless because you can paint any picture you want to, right? We look at our Google Analytics, it says fast food. I'm not going to convince Taco Bell to advertise to 50-year-old white men for Taco Bell. It's just not going to happen. Even though every bit of data supports it, it's not going to happen. So that's where that gut instinct has to come in. And I think having the two of you here, that's what we're trying to say is you have to have that data and that analytics you have to have that creativity to know this content is going to work and if it's not going to work screw these people for not watching it i think it's going to be cool if you can find that healthy medium and that's why having people talking to each other in these departments is so is absolutely so important because you as the content creator are have your blinders on for what is good content you from the monetization side are saying that is crap content here's what i need to make money well if you split that down the middle like most things in life you probably have some good content um so it makes a ton of sense how much does data when you are and i know this is something you and i talked about but how much are you using the data to influence the content you make and I think that's the next step in all this, right? The, the predictive AI. How are you using the data you have? And that, first of all, to make that happen, you need good inputs to get good outputs. You have to have good data previously. It can't be 67 people watch this on a Tuesday night while they were stoned out of their face. Like we need real data here. So, so when you, when you, how much is that coming into play, especially as you're launching Netfreak TV? How much are those analytics to looking towards the future coming into what you're creating now? Well, I'm very blessed that I have really good corporate clients that have great structure in place and they have, um, you know, at least an understanding of what they're looking for. And so, like, I can help model that uh, on our own side of like, OK, I know that, like, what our demographic is. I know where we're going to go. So, like, all the data from basically what we've created with other people through live entertainment, most of the time our specialty is very much live entertainment. Yep. And so events, sports, comedy, you know, especially concerts and festivals. I know what we want to do from the fact that like our stuff has worked to get us to continue to have those clients continue to hire us. And so um, they're hiring us for reasons because they're the, the stuff that we give them is the most engaged they've ever had. They show us the numbers. They show us that this is the most engaged photo that our CEO has ever had. Those kind of comments come back to me and I'm like, okay, what did we do here? And then I translate that over into our own platform. And yeah. so it definitely takes a long time. And I think with what Netfreak TV is, it took a while for me to realize that this isn't just a story. It is a platform and it is, it's supposed to be built for other people, not necessarily for our own content, but it's supposed to be a mechanism for ways to like level the playing field in the industry. There is no mechanical royalties anymore. There is no, you know, consistent income from streaming for artists specifically. Yeah. So like what, okay, I see that problem. I've identified it. And so now how as a platform, how as a company can we use our IP and use our talents that we have as production to build a platform to help other people do that as to well. To empower the artists, to empower the fans to watch when they want to watch it and stuff like that. And again, all well and good. Now let's talk about the monetization strategy because that's, you could say that, but if for the artists get paid, 
that means you got to have the audience. And, you know, one of the things that I've always found amusing, how long did Netflix say they weren't going to do ads? I mean, from up until the first drop in subscribers ever, they're like, uh-oh. And all of a sudden, within months, they've changed the entire scape of the industry and they're putting ads on everything. So, you know, I've noticed the pay-to-play model diminishing over time where everyone that said they were going to do it was all of a sudden doing it and it's for a reason right the ad advertising ecosystem is so established and there's so many people looking to advertise and honestly it's so watered down with so many agencies looking for cuts that ultimately that is where to make the money i mean my audience do you know how much more my audience is worth on an advertising basis than would have been a subscriber basis it's unbelievable now if i charge people 20 bucks could they pay yes However, all of a sudden the words recession come and banks start crashing and all of a sudden you're looking at your credit card bill. You're like, I don't even know what these subscriptions are. And then what do you cut, right? As opposed to the ad model, you're more tolerant to ads. So, so Kevin, talk, talk a little bit about that. Talk about what the adoption rate is like on the advertising side of the video. Are me more people going to try and to monetize versus the gate, the paywalls and the gates and stuff like that. Uh, what are you seeing? Have you seen, I bet you you've seen a lot of people have tried the paywall and failed miserably. What have you seen on your end? Yeah, there's a, there's a, a mix, uh, but, but ultimately, um, you know, if, uh, if anyone's kind of close to, to the ad tech, you know, industry and, and, um, you know, online content distribution, things like that, the fast channels, um, you know, everyone's talking about them, right? So they're basically free ad supported, uh, you know, platforms and, and the, the, the increase in, in adoption rates of fast channels that has, you know, it's, 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 give, give them again, give an example of a fast channel that most people would know. So basically, you know, th think of like, like Roku, right? So you're, 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 you're watching content on, on Roku and, you know, instead of having, you know, no commercials, you're, you're, you're getting commercials like, you know, every 20 minutes or something like that. Uh, it's, it's usually not the same sort of in-demand content. Like you're not getting movies fresh out of the theater. You're not getting right. unique IP that is built for that, but you're getting content. That's yeah, it. You're, you're, you're getting, you're getting content, you're getting, you know, um, you know, and I think, you know, something that this kind of, uh, paramount to is what we were talking about here today is that, um, you know, DJ, your, your point about, uh, you know, like Frankenstein, right. And, 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 you know, you know, kind of the classic content that, that everyone knows that people want to watch and consume. Well, think about, you know, when, when that content was created back in the day, like there was, there was one screen, right. Right. Think of, think of the screen. There was one and, screen and there were three film productions. There were three movie right. theaters. I mean, it was MGM was making that stuff. There was only three houses. Yeah. Now the uh, fight over that intellectual property is insane, but go on. And, 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 and ultimately, you know, the kind of the, with, with data and, and, and figuring out, you know, so you the, the data that's put into the content, you know, what's called metadata, um, is, is key to helping tell the story, and key to an understanding, you know, how different users are, are consuming that content across multiple devices. That is 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 very important to tell at the, the stories around to to the advertiser, you know, why why you should be on 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 these, you know, the mobile device versus versus CTV, you know, a, a fast channel that's not through on, on Roku. Um, so, so ultimately, you know, there's, there's a, and, and DJ, in terms of like that kind of foundation of long form content and cut, you know, figuring out how to cut that up to, to distribute across these, these devices, that's where I, I geek out because like being able to tell, you know, that story is, is, is incredibly important. And it's also a really, um, important aspect to, to figure out how to, uh, in, increase the, the reach of your audience, right? So. You get that that loyal um, that loyal audience, but when once you start funneling in the right data through the content and and also, um, you know through you know device um, uh, you know data, that's that's how you can figure out like well, I know that this this user likes sports, I know this user likes you know entertainment, but 
I also see that they 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 like you know, um, you know, food and they yeah. like wine and, and, and that then that we're talking lifestyle now, and I think that's one of the big advents is it's sports is part of lifestyle, right? Sports, grilling, all these things start going together, and you're building these cohorts. And I hate the word because it sounds like a dirty word, but you're creating cohorts of things that overlap, right? If you have somebody who loves watching college football, the propensity of them to be someone outside grilling and drinking a beer while they do so, you're pretty much ninety nine percent of the time you have the right person. Uh, and and again, that's that simplification. So uh, that's a good point to take a break. Uh, you listen to the market. Man, man, we'll be right back. Now back to the marketing madmen on Extra 1063 FM. Welcome back to the Marketing Madman, Nick Constantino, and I'm here with Kevin Webb and DJ Falk, and we are finishing up our conversation on video. Uh, so we didn't do this first because, you know, we're, this is for everybody. Video has made its way. If you don't have a video content strategy for everything you do, you're probably going to be left out now. There are probably some heritage businesses that are going to look at this and be like, meh, but for most people, you need video as part of your strategy. Um, so we tried to simplify this and not speak over people's head, but let's take some credit to these guys. So DJ, start with you. Talk about some of the cool ish that you've done um that this career path has brought you to oh man so yeah i guess just to kind of conclude the little mini story earlier after i was leaving the studio i founded my production company and um within three four months i had been you know picked up by live nation to do music midtown and i learned a little bit of the history i got to meet alex cooley um i found you know like i'd skipped school back in high school to go to music midtown when i was in the city but like i i I didn't ever really expect to like come out the gate swinging like that with really good clients in a way that like it fit what I wanted to do. It matched my music industry background with Tree Sound and all the labels that we had worked with. And then it also kind of fit that event niche. And yeah. so from there, we refined, refined, refined and worked with a lot of tours, did a lot of content. And we tried to launch our website originally and um, fell on our face due to, you know, bad booking agents taking yeah. advantage of us and stuff. And so... That was one thing that um, I really want to emphasize for people that are creating content. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to scrap a project and move yeah. on to the next one because, you know, it may mean a lot to you at the end of the day and it may mean, you know, the best story in the world. But, like, if it's just not there and it's not time, then that's okay. And yeah. that's where, you know, I I now think, thanks to the old plague, you know, I was able to stop what we were doing with our corporate clients and go into the original content and, the yeah. you know, the bigger scale. But yeah. Along the way, man, I, I was lucky that we refined through really good yeah, clients. And, and, and let's say, in addition, how important intellectual property and, co and contracts are. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the worst things of the modern time. I mean, yep. I loaded up a time of card, a new video game, like when I have eight minutes of free time, turn the game on, ready to go play, and I'm 20 minutes, I'm still reading disclaimers and having to go through and approve all this stuff. And they're like, they're like, hold down to get through it. And it's like, I'm still not listening to it. So you're just reading it. So you're saying, so the contracts are so long, they're by, written by lawyers whose job is to make it seem ambiguous. And and to screw one party out of it. So read your contracts for the love of goodness. Read them. No understand intellectual property because on the video side, especially if you botch that, all the work and time can be exploited by somebody else. So and if, if you even have an inkling to hire, hire somebody else, don't do it yourself. Yep. Don't do it yourself or have somebody look it over. Um, and then what about talk about Necker because you got to throw that in there. So, yeah, I, I was definitely lucky that, um, you know, after Live Nation came SunTrust when we were working with them and SunTrust Park opened and got to work with the Braves and those guys. We worked with a lot of their stuff. And then that led into us kind of being the events guys in Atlanta. You know, everybody knew that our team was really good for events and captures. And so that led to me getting picked up by uh, an incredible group of folks over at Premier Live with uh, the Necker Cup and the Necker Open, um, which is Richard Branson's island down in the British Virgin Islands. And this is their philanthropy event. And so yeah. 
we worked with on that project the past few years, you know, delivering their content. And you're rubbing elbows with bajillionaires, and then it's just a natural environment. And like, tell me if I'm getting this story wrong, but they hired somebody else. Your job was not to shoot photos, but they ended up asking for the rights to use all your photos that you were kind of casually shooting, right? This past time that I was a guest, yeah, I I came back as a guest through one of my friends that is the owner. Shout out to DJ Mihao. Um, I got to go back as his guest, and so uh, you know, they just ended up. I had my camera. I'm always gonna have my camera. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I love I love photography, and I think that all this kind of goes back to like when I was growing up. I wanted to do wildlife photography, National yeah. Geographic. That was my thing. And so, walking around on Necker Island, literally, I have no shoes on. Like I'm just in the sand, playing with lemurs, taking photos of it. Like you know, there are all these celebrities. There's all these yeah. people. You know, and you were just a regular person. And in most, in my experience, most times when people smell genuine people, they all of a sudden change, the, their guard comes down and they become much more like, hey, remember when I used to be a normal person? Let's talk. Uh, so yeah, that's that's an awesome, and, and again, we can go on about those stories. Uh, Kev, what about you? So talk about where, where this has gotten you and some of the bigger clients and just the complexity of deals you're working with. Um, because again, probably not as sexy as playing with a lemur on the beach with Richard Branson, uh, but equally important as to how, how to make things work in Monti. So talk about some of the clients you guys work with and, and just the scale that you've been able to achieve over the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's been, it's been a fun ride, right? Um, the, the, back to the, the, the technology that I, I was mentioning that I was I built in the past, you know, I've had, um, you know, good luck where you know, that technology has been acquired by companies like AOL, Yahoo, Microsoft, and um, at Franklin Media now, you know, we we service a, a ton of local broadcasters, 680 The Fan, um, but uh, the best client, a fantastic client, fantastic For client, both of you. And, and also very, very close, which is even more convenient. Um, pretty good uh, seats once in a while too. But um, you know, we we also we're, we're blessed with the, the fact that we're able to work with companies like Newsweek, um, who who just you know had their 90th birthday and 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 helping you know them them monetize and they're they're great partners. And Give us some scale. How many video views in a in a week for Newsweek? How many millions? I mean, you're talking massive scale. Yeah, I mean, you know, 50, 50 million uh, plus plus users a month, right? And and then in, in, in terms of, of, of viewership, um, yeah, we're talking you know you know well over hundred million uh, video views a, a month, and so yeah, there's there's a ton of scale, and and, and they continue to grow, and so you know that's what's fun is is working with established brands like Newsweek, and also. You know, uh, brands like, you know, back to the content creators, we're helping, you know, tons of, of, of new content creators, you know, bring their brands to, to life and, and help them with their digital strategies. And, you know, watching someone grow from from zero to, to something is, is it really, you know, not only makes puts money in, in my pocket, but also right. it, it's it's fun. It's fun to see. And, and, and give me, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times the business model is set up on a profit share basis, right? So you share success. So right. if that company's growing, you're getting a bigger cut, they're sharing, you're sharing those ad dollars, which makes it really like it's in everyone's interest, which doesn't always happen that way. 100%. It, and, so that's and, important. And it, it, it's, it's more than just, just sharing, you know, the, so we, so oftentimes we're taking the, the risk on, on the technology because, you know, there's been, you know, years of, of, of investment building the the uh the systems that we, that we have in place refining them and oh the, the bandwidth just the data bandwidth i mean that's half the times you're paying more money for right. the data bandwidth at that size how much video, i mean it's insane the bandwidth that's going back there especially yeah. video thing we i think we used like i don't even know hundreds of terabytes of data on streaming radio could you imagine on 50 million videos how much data storage and the, the, how much is involved right yeah it, it's a lot it's a lot so it, it, it's really you know, um, at, at the end of the day, what we like to say is that, you know, we let the content creators do what they do best. They do, they, they create premium content 
and we help them with their digital strategy to figure out how to monetize it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of pieces that go into that. Right. And that's another thing. It cannot be your only basis of your digital strategy to have video, like your social media outreach, event marketing. I mean, video and events play themselves very well because maybe you have all this live content, but let's do a live version of this. And then all of a sudden we're doing the live and we're throwing concerts. I think that's one of the things that we've grown at 6A the fan the most is, you know, from being a radio company to being a TV production studio and an event producer. Now all of a sudden we're in the NIL space. And who do you think a Georgia athlete's going to work with some schmuck agent or the guys who eventually when their career fits out they're gonna probably come want to work for us so we have those incentives so i think it's all about bridging those connections um we got 60 seconds left i'm signing off i'm turning this over to you guys one tip to give each person one creating video and one trying to monetize it go yeah i i think you know well i'll touch quickly on, on content you know i think it's been said a couple of times here today believe in, in in what you're you're doing uh because you'll 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 stick to it you'll, you'll create the premium content and then you know as far as monetizing um Sometimes less is more. And, 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 and so delivering a premium experience with premium content, that's how you're going to win. No. Oh, man. And so my, my tip, uh, my one tip, it would be find a problem every day that you enjoy solving and solve it. Find a way that the story, whether it's the story needs to be told better, whether it's a better way to shoot a, a shot, whether it's a better way to record a, a message, whatever it is, find a problem and solve it and you'll be happy. Yeah, I love that. I think every day and that's what it's about, right? So hopefully we've solved some problems for you that you didn't know you had maybe even uh, and you were listening to the Marketing Mad Men. Tune in every week, Saturday, 3 p.m. to hear the shows. Check us out. Google us. Look us up. Find us on podcast providers. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.